Thank you, choir, so much. Always an encouragement to be with you in worship. And um, if you would honor God's word this morning by standing together as we read Daniel chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. Let's read these words with one another. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account or any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. And for your sake, teach us to listen and to see and obey. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, you may be seated. So this week we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 9, which records for us one of Daniel's prayers. It's an incredible prayer. There's a lot to like about Daniel. I mean, we like Daniel. I mean, he's a pretty awesome dude. This young, faithful hero whisked away from his home city among many other thousands of other uh, from Jerusalem in exile. He is seen as attractive and wise, and he's put in a position of, of authority. He's a pretty cool guy. He is faithful when it's easy, when it's hard, we see it in his rhythms and his prayer life, which we really, really appreciate as we see in him. He's an interpreter of dreams. That kind of puts him on the map, right? And then, of course, as he grows, he becomes this wise sage to the kings of both Babylon and then Persia. And he's a prophet. He looks into what God is doing and longs for God to act on the behalf of his people, which is what we see in his word. There's much to appreciate. And as I've said, we really admire his prayer life. We know that Daniel, as was tradition in the Jewish culture, to pray three times a day. He would go back to his place, his little apartment, and he would open the window where it faced the temple as if praying to God himself in that place in his homeland. And he would get on his knees and pray. Here we find him in Daniel chapter 9 because of his grief and longing for restoration that he's in burlap and throws ash on himself to demonstrate his penitence before the Lord. We really appreciate Daniel's life, his, in this case, his prayer life. He does a lot of things in his prayer life that we've been talking about over the course of these weeks in this series about prayer. He praises God. He identifies God's identity and nature and majesty. He is very penitent. He's keenly aware. When you read Daniel chapter 9 in this prayer, he makes it very clear that we are where we are because we've sinned against you. 
God, you didn't mess up. We, we sinned against you. We turned our backs. We didn't obey your word. You even told us this would happen, and we did it anyway. You are faithful to your promises and faithful to what you would say you would do if we would walk away from you. And so he's penitent, confessing his sin and the sin of his people. He's praised the word of God. We find him reading the oracles of Jeremiah. We've been talking about the past few weeks that when we pray, we pray according to God's will. We pray with the Bible open, and we find him doing that here. But one of the features that I really want to talk about today is the feature of him asking that God would act for his sake on behalf of his people, that he would move, that he would forgive, that he would be compassionate, that he would restore for his sake. We see that in verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake, do it. And so, if it's okay with you, I want to spend the remainder of our time just figuring out why in the world is that a good thing? Why is it good that Daniel pray that way? And why is it good that we would continue or add that feature of prayer in our own life? That God, you act in our city, you move in our life on our behalf of our friends for your own sake. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're really not all that comfortable with that. I mean, we would never tell anyone in life, you know, would you, would you help that person would you help that person out and just make it all about you? We would never say that. Uh, we would never uh, counsel people in marriage or in any other parts of life. Just make it all about you. That's the way to go. But yet we find here where Daniel says, for your own sake, do it. For your own sake. And so although we're not comfortable with it, if we really think about it, it has to be good. And so the question I want to answer this morning is, why is praying for your sake a good thing? Now, it's listed in your worship guide. You can follow along with me, and you're going to find pretty quickly that I'm going to say a lot of the same things just in different ways. And, um, and hopefully we'll get to all of them uh, this morning. And so the first one I'm stating in the negative. We pray for your sake or for your own sake, or praying your own for your own sake is a good thing, it's not because God needs help building his reputation. It's not as if Daniel is asking, Lord, could you, could you hire a brand manager or a PR firm because you really need help. You really need to build your reputation. That's something that we work for and towards in our own life. Sometimes our motivation for working hard or doing something a particular way and sometimes even serving another person is because we want to draw attention to ourselves. We want to add to our credibility and work. We want to get our name on that brick or on the side of the building. God doesn't need help with that. His reputation as glorious and majestic, as holy, is is set in stone. It's fixed. It's fixed. The reality is the reason Daniel prays that way is because his people are the problem. And in our case, we're the problem. God doesn't need help building his reputation. We need help seeing and beholding the glory of God. And we know that's the problem because in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it abundantly clear 
In Romans chapter 1, verses 23 through 24, it says about humanity, humankind exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity, or God gave them up to the darkening of their mind and the lusts of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Even though they knew God and saw the glory of God, they turned away from the glory of God and worshiped and exalted themselves. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you over that. And you have a veil over your mind and heart and, and eyes. When when I was a junior in high school, I shared this story last week um, in Lagos. When I was a junior in high school, I was at a summer camp in Switzerland. It's beautiful. If you've been to Switzerland, it's valleys surrounded by these incredible mountain peak and vistas. It's absolutely gorgeous. Everywhere you turn, you see mountains. I was in a worship gathering of students in a room, a rectangle, and one side of the room was all glass. It was all glass. And at this point, the glass was veiled. It had curtains from top to bottom. And at some point near the end of the worship gathering, it was timed, it was on purpose. At some point, they started raising the curtains. And to the left of all the students gathered in this room was just mountain after mountain after snow-capped mountain. It was glorious. It was majestic. It was hallowed. And there's nothing we could do to add to that. It's not as if the mountains in Switzerland need to build their reputation. It is. We just needed to be able to see it. And so when we pray, Lord, for your sake, act or move, we're not asking God to build his reputation. We're saying, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see. Another reason why we ought to be praying for your sake, just like Daniel prayed, is because that's exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. This is where we were last week when Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, for your own sake. For the sake of your name. That's how Jesus prays. That's his petition to hallow his name in all the earth. He's asking God to act for the renown of his name that the whole world would know that you are holy. And Jesus in John chapter 17, before he's going to the cross, the, the first things out of his mouth are, Lord, I have lived and worked for your glory. I've put your glory on display. Now glorify me for my own sake. That's how Jesus prays. God's sake is at the center of Jesus' living and praying. Jesus lived for his Father's sake, for the sake of his name. And that's how Jesus prays. So when we pray, when we pray for your own sake, Lord, we pray the very heart of Jesus, what he's most passionate about. We pray like Jesus Another reason that it's a good thing that we pray, like Daniel, for your own sake, Lord, is because God acting for his own sake is not at odds with his mercy and compassion. We can tend to think that it's not loving unless it's all about us. 
that we have to be at the center, that it's really loving when people give us attention, not, not to increase their reputation, but if they give of themselves for our sake. We feel really loved when people act that way towards us. But the interesting thing is that when you read these passages of Scripture, you don't see God pursuing His own sake and his display of his compassion and mercy at odds with one another. I mean, Daniel throws them in the same sentence. If we read again, beginning in verse 18, my God, incline your ear and, ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our pleas before you based on any merits of our own, but based on your great Compassion. So he ends verse 18 with your great compassion. Then he says, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen, and take action for your own sake. Right there in the span of a few words is your great compassion and your own sake. And the, the, in Daniel's mind, the two are not at odds. In fact, if we read throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, those realities of God's nature and identity, him pursuing his own glory for his own sake and his incredible display and compassion and mercy go together. They're part of the same thing. In fact, I would say it would seem that if God chose not to act for his own sake, we would not know his mercy and compassion and grace. That if God chose to make you and me and humanity the very center of his purpose, that we would lose his mercy and compassion because of the reasons that Daniel says. You don't merit anything from the Lord at all. But when God acts on his own sake, for his own sake, we see the wedding of both his own sake, that purpose, and mercy and compassion. It would, it would be as if, if we were convinced that for some reason, God pursuing his own sake just doesn't muster, that somehow it's unloving. It would be as if we would demand, demand of the Son I want your warmth. I want the beams of light that radiate in my skin and helps me produce vitamin D. I want that. I want it to light up the world around me, but please don't shine, right? I want everything that you provide. I want you to give towards me for my good, but don't go about shining. Don't display any glory. The two go together. You don't get the goodness of the rays of the sun without it shining. Nor do we get God's mercy and compassion without him being committed to acting and moving for his own sake. Another reason that it's a good thing, because to insist God act for a nobler reason is to insist that God deny his godness, to insist that he becomes small. Again, we tend to think that acting for one's own sake is somehow dishonorable. It's more noble not to act for your own sake, but to act for only the good of others, to think about that other person before you think about yourself. And we say, if that's true and expected of me, then how can God get off by pursuing his own sake before he pursues 
others' sake. That doesn't seem noble. And we would say, God, be more noble. Act for someone else's sake rather than your own sake. That's how we might feel. In fact, we might even ask, Lord, isn't praying for your sake, petitioning you to do something you have already asked us not to do? It's not the case at all. In fact, actually, God is acting for his own. When God is acting for his own sake, it is doing exactly what he has asked us to do. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. What does he say? You shall have no other gods before me. No one does that better than God. God upholds and honors the first commandment with full commitment for his own sake. And to ask him to be any different, any less, is to say, God, I'd rather you not be God and just act for my sake rather than your own sake. Another reason, when we pray, Lord, act for your own sake, it is good because God, because God acting for his own sake restores our very design. Y'all know this, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. God says, listen, I am now making men and women in my image. From the very beginning, we were to be image barriers for the sake of his name. We were to be reflections of the glory of God in all the earth and how we rule in his wisdom and ways over all the earth. We were made to reflect the sakeness or the glory of God. And it restores our design when we pray for your sake. The James Webb Telescope has about a 20-foot diameter mirror. Y'all know this. Well, I think you know this. All of our telescopes, even the big ones that are out in space somewhere, only can do what they do because they have a mirror that reflects the, right, the light from the universe they receive. When we pray for his sake, just like Daniel, we say, Lord, shine so that I might reflect your glory. Restore this murky, murky mirror that was from the beginning designed to display your glory. Another reason that it's a good thing that we pray for his sake because God acting for his own sake fulfills his purpose in all of creation. Psalm 23, 3 says this, he restores my soul, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. 1 John 2, 12 says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you on account of his name. Romans eleven thirty six. for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Paul sums up the whole purpose of all of creation and the purpose of redemption for his name, for his glory. And if we were to ask anything else of God in our petitions, do it for my sake, do it only for my good, make me the center of your affections and the center of your purpose, then we would deny God the very purpose he has for all of creation. Karl Barth, a very famous 20th century theologian, wrote this, that God creates, he sustains, and he rules creation as the very theater of his glory and in its midst man also as the witness of his glory. When we pray, 
Lord, act for your own sake. We say, Lord, fulfill your purpose in all the earth. That's what we're asking him to do. Lastly, when we commit ourselves to praying for the sake of his name, it is a good thing because God acting for his own sake is what your neighbors need most. Your neighbors don't need more of you. They need more of Jesus. They need more of God acting for his own sake in and through your life so they can see the marvelous display of his name, of his goodness, of his truth, of his beauty, of his mercy, of his compassion. It is good that we pray for the sake of his name because that's what our neighbors need most. That's what that's what Daniel was praying in verse 19. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name and your name should be on display for all the nations to see. That was why they were chosen from the very beginning. They were to be image bearers for the sakeness of the glory of God so that all the nations would know and behold the goodness and glory of God through the people of Israel. It was very purpose from the very, very beginning. That's how Jesus lived his life. That's how Jesus prayed. Again, going back to John 17, Lord, may you now glorify me in this moment. That's him facing the cross. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm about to go to the cross and I want them to know my love. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm about to go to the cross now. Glorify me because what they needed most was not to feel loved. What they needed most was to see the glorious display of the glory of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What your neighbors need most is for God to act for his namesake in your life so they can see Jesus, more of Jesus not less of Jesus. So my ask, my petition to you this morning is that in your own prayer life, would you add that? Would you say, Lord, center my heart against, in, around what is most important to your heart, which is your namesake? Would you pray in all the petitions that you have, would you begin it with, for your sake, O Lord, act and move. Not for the glory of the First Baptist family, not for the glory of this preacher, not for your glory, but for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that your glory is the very center of your heart and purpose that you act and move for your own sake and help us to see that that is good, that we only know love and mercy and compassion because you are committed to your own glory. Now, Lord, help us have that same kind of resonating heart that beats and flourishes in its pursuit of your glory in our life and in our city and in the world. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. We're going to